0: good morning how are you you know it's it's uh interesting i teach almost every week a revelation class and i it never phases me uh. doing this is nerve-wracking for some reason and i don't know why but uh anyway uh you know i always tell my kids i'm so nervous and they always go no you're not and sometimes i get that way uh it is a weighty thing to teach the word of God. It's a weighty thing to, to, to speak of the things that are eternal, especially in the world that we're living in right now, the things that are going on around us, and I've got uh, the text that we're going to be continuing in is uh, Matthew chapter seven. And uh, the verses are 15 through 20, so I'll read them aloud with you guys right now. And then I'm going to be making a lot of allusions to uh, the previous text, because you really can't read this text and understand it unless you understand what was said previously. And also, I will probably end up making a lot of references to the book of Revelation. Um, I'll just say this. As I've been teaching that book, I, I could teach the entire gospel out of Revelation. And people, it's sad that we've relegated that book to some future science fiction thing when it has so much to do and so much to say to us right here, right now. And so I'm going to lace a lot of what I say today with regards to some of the things that are in Revelation Uh, I'll probably jump all over the scriptures today, so uh, where's my Bible? Oh, it's right there. Um, So I have my laptop and my Bible going both at the same time. So, all right, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20 read, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, as we've said that this is an extension on what was said previously, and I'll get to that in a minute, but I wanted to take some time just to reiterate to this church where we're at and what's going on and why we're in the book of Matthew and what does it matter and, and why it actually really does With all the political and social drama going on in our country and everything that's being exacerbated by a partisan media, it's easy for us as believers no matter how vigilant we are to lose sight, to lose perspective, to get caught up in politics, to get caught up in things that are going on in the world to get caught up in oh my gosh I've never seen it like this before oh my goodness they're actually saying there's 30 different genders I've never heard of that when I was a kid whoop that that was weird we had never even thought of that so we get caught up in those things and it's so easy for us to do and we lose sight of the perspective we lose our bearings so often of who we are because we watch what's going on in the world as if we were actually a part of it. And the good news is that we're not. And I have to say to myself almost every day when I watch the news, this isn't me. This isn't what, what I'm about. It's sad but it's so, uh, to see what's going on, but it's very easy for me to get caught up in it, get stressed, get anxious, get wound up about, oh, could you believe what they said? Oh, da, 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 da. could you believe what's going on? Can you believe what they're teaching? And my answer to that is yes. The reason I can believe it is because this is a lost world. And it's going to get darker and darker and darker as it goes. And we should not be ashamed of that. I remember one time when I was uh, with my wife, we were up in where Harmony's at right now in a little town called, what is it? What's it called? Fort Jones. There was a, uh, Aetna. There was a street fair. And there was a lady and she was covered, all inked and she had multiple piercings and uh, bizarre colored hair. I don't think it's a color you could find in nature. It was just bizarre and she was making really, really weird and crude jokes about a mannequin that she was trying to put something on. And she was going back and forth with this lady friend of hers. And I had to catch myself because the first thing I thought is, gross. That's gross. And I think the Lord quickened me and said, no, 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 that's the world. Why would I expect them to act like I would act? And instead of being grossed out, I found myself brokenhearted. And that's the position that we have to be in. We have to look at the world and say, this is not my home. This world is going absolutely bonkers, crazy, but it's not my home. I grieve for it. What my responsibility and role in this life is, is to shine brightly for Jesus. To reflect who he is. And you know what? He ate with sinners and publicans. He broke every religious rule that there was. Because he loved people. And I find sometimes that I don't, I always catch myself because I I find, you know, I don't have time to go do this, I don't want to go do that, what an inconvenience, blah, 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 blah. And I just lose sight, I lose perspective. And so I'm saying all that because we often find ourselves putting hope, becoming anxious about the things that make up the mechanisms of this world's system. We listen to the various personalities and the, the spin doctors and the talking heads that shape what's, what's being said nowadays. And in so doing, we lose sight of the truth that we serve a sovereign that controls everything that you're watching on TV. Everything that's going on in the world, he not only controls it, he's steering it and driving it to the, accomplish his purposes, to the purposes of his will. And when we look out there, it's easy for us to say, oh my gosh, the world's going crazy. It is. It's going exactly in the direction that God is intending it to go. Because through it, he will be glorified. And we forget that, right? And this message in the book of Revelation is a message that I feel like has been relegated to some future statement, a future deal where the church is going to be raptured out. And, you know, chapters 4 through, what, about 18 don't really apply to anybody but the Jewish nation. And we read the first three chapters about the churches, and we go, oh, that's really good stuff. And then we kind of read almost for kind of weird entertainment the rest of the, the book and we love the end where Jesus is coming back. Woo! Right? But there's so much in the book of Revelation. It's giving it's been given to us to reveal the spiritual forces that go on behind the anti Christian political structure. What's going on back there is spelled out for us in Revelation. There is a beast. There is an Antichrist spirit alive. He has, and we're going to talk about this today, he has a false prophet. And we lose sight, I think, of that so easily. This revelation is intended for the church as it made manifest by the first two chapters or three chapters, which are specifically to the church. Since the number seven is apocalyptically symbolic, and, and speaks of, of completeness and wholeness and the fullness, those seven churches represent the fullness of the church throughout the interadvental period, which is the time from his first coming till he comes again. So we see seven different churches that represent the church as a whole as it's going through this period of time called the church age. And what we discover by studying each message, uh, when when the church loses sight of the truth, of what really is going on, she can lose her first love, like the church at Ephesus did. She can become fearful of persecution, like the church at Smyrna. She can become tolerant of the surrounding culture in the face of threat like the Pergamums did. Pergamanians, Pergam, whatever. She can become compromised and engage in sin when, when sound doctrine is not maintained like those in Thyatira. She can become so obscure, innocuous, and benign that she has no effect on the world around her and in effect dies like Sardis. She can become, she can actually begin to look so much like the world and act so much like the world, that she's indistinguishable from the world, like Laodicea. And we live right in the middle of it. And so the words that Jesus is saying to these churches are words to us. This is going on. Don't become like this. Maintain your first love. Don't tolerate these things. Don't tolerate compromise. Don't get yourself enamored with the things of the world. Don't try to look like the world. Especially don't try to make friends with them. For when they say, peace, peace. And what we always seem to forget is that these two kingdoms don't play nice together. So there's there's no way that we should have this camaraderie between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the earth. And we try so hard, don't we? So many ways we try, to, we try to figure out how to just buddy up to it or snuggle up to it or see how close to the edge we can get or whatever. And we lose our, we lose our, our, uh, our salt. So I say this to remind us that this is why we're studying Matthew. To see the kingdom of God and its, and its invasion of and ultimate victory over the kingdom of the beast through the incarnation of the Son of God. To understand the intrinsic hostility between these two kingdoms and to warn against any ideology, theology, philosophy, or charismatic public figure who would declare otherwise. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief while people are saying, peace, peace. To teach the church in the last days to understand the struggle that they are in by default, by default, and equip them with the necessary truth by which to stand against the spirit of the Antichrist that permeates our culture And I don't know if you guys, oh, and finally, just to say that these two kingdoms, as I've just said, do not play nice together. They don't coexist. They don't. There is intrinsic and necessary hostility. Can darkness and light dwell together? The answer to that is no. And we have to go back to the roots of understanding those things. We also paint these giant pictures of how easy the Christian life is going to be. It's not. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with the news, but over the past couple of weeks, the church has seen two well-known Christian influences publicly renounce their faith. The author, what's his name, Joshua Harris, wrote a book. I, I, I've never read it, but uh, apparently it's a pretty popular book. Just Say No to Dating or something like that. Yeah, Kiss Dating Goodbye. And just recently, Hillsong singer-songwriter Marty Sampson publicly denied his faith. Both of them. In response to this, John Cooper, who is the lead singer of Skillet, had this to say, we are in a dangerous place when the church is looking to 20-year-old worship singers to be our source of faith. We now have a church culture that learns who God is from singing modern praise songs rather than teaching the word. Both of these influencers stated that they were making a bold new stance, that they had either begun to question the truth of the gospel in light of their new enlightened truth, which, by the way, concerns loving humanity in both cases, and that basically the world had a much better understanding of love and acceptance than did the church. Now, these disavowed leaders are proudly leading and influencing boldly away from the truth. This truth is, the truth is that there is an aggressive, hostile, uncompromising war being waged. God, through Jesus Christ, has invaded the kingdom of this world and has established a beachhead through the church. These disavowed leaders, and I just said that, uh, And the world hates the church and all that she stands for. Now, I say this because it is salient to what we're going to talk about today. Now, I read the text. Now, let's go back and read what was said previously in verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Most commentators understand verses 15 through 20 to be a direct ex- extension of what is said in these two verses that the gate chosen or that the ga- the roadway that you find yourself on and the gateway that you're moving toward is often influenced strongly by what Jesus here calls false prophets. Following his call for us to pursue the narrow way that leads to salvation, Jesus warns us to beware of these false prophets. And just as there are two ways, one of salvation and another of damnation, so too there are only two kinds of teachers, true ones and false ones. Being led along the wrong path is the goal. First of all, it needs to be understood that deception does not exclusively come from outside the church. In fact... Revelation specifically tells us that a significant part of the last day's deception, see Matthew 24, comes from inside the church. So there is an outward press that we get quite a bit, right? The world, the systems, the economy, uh, social justice, all of this stuff is raining in on us from, from the outside, but then... There is what's called a false prophet that has worked its way into the church and is doing things like saying, Hey, we need to widen the road. Because more people, after all, will find it if we do so. So they're making it easier and easier. They're teaching things that are easy. Come to Jesus, be wealthy. Come to Jesus, things will, you'll find yourself. Come to Jesus and you'll be blessed. Come to Jesus and all of of those are sometimes true. but That's not the point. We see two churches in the book of Revelation that had this exact thing happen to them, Pergamum and Thyatira. Pergamum, Jesus says this, but I have a few things against you. You have some who hold there to the teachings of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So you also have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, basically, they had permitted, they knew these people were in teaching among them and they just permitted it. They just let them continue on. And they, their whole deal was If you just become a little bit more tolerant, if you just widen the road a little bit, you'll have so much more success. Your church will be bigger. Your offering might be a little bigger. People might come to know Jesus Christ if we just take off some of these restraints and broaden this road. George Bernard Shaw wrote this, beware of false knowledge. It is more dangerous than ignorance. This is a, uh, this what, what's going on here is a reference to the internal compromise with false teaching. Though the Pergamum Church had withstood the external threat of Rome and the imperial cult, they had at the same time allowed false doctrine to arise from within them. Balaam in the Old Testament pro- was an Old Testament prophet for hire, and he was the one who advised Balak, the king of Moab, to induce the Israelites into idol worship so that they would lose the protection of God. This incident made such an impact on subsequent generations that it became proverbial for spiritual decline. We also had another church that was doing the same thing, Thyatira. What did they do? I had this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice the same things, sexual immorality and idol worship. And in both of these places, it sounded great. In Pergamum, it was: "Look, if you don't go to participate in these things, you're going to lose your your income. You'll lose your jobs because they were uh, they were all associated with various." Uh, merchandising guilds and each one of them had a patron, a patron God. And in order to be a part of the guild and to do business, you had to go and be a part of their idol participation. You had to, you had to be involved. And so the church was basically saying, listen, you really don't need to do that. Really. It's okay. Let's widen the road here. You don't need to exclude yourself from these things. It's just, it's just a thing. Anyway, you just go, you eat and it's, you know, whatever. And they bought into it. Same thing at Thyatira. Only this was a little bit different. What they were saying was, hey, we're going to expand our knowledge. In order for you to be effective, you have to participate in. How can you talk about these things unless you know of what you speak? And so... The Jezebel spirit in this church was enticing people to engage in these kind of activities by saying that it was spiritually to their benefit. Let's widen the road. Let's widen the road. More people. You don't have to give up anything. Just widen the road. She claimed to have a special revelation from God that qualified her to be an authoritative leader. Jezebel is current, uh, certainly a local expression of the harlot in Babylon, uh, of the harlot Babylon, who makes her appearance in chapter 17 of Revelation. Being able to distinguish these teachers from one another is vital if we want to promote our spiritual well-being. Otherwise, false prophets will lead us into destruction. We have to be on our game, right? And this is what Jesus is saying here. Beware false prophets. You'll know them how? Their gospel's easy. They teach a compromised gospel. Wide is the road, right? Leads to destruction. Come on, it's okay. We'll just move this over a little bit here. Pretty soon you, you look exactly like everybody else out there, and you're on the wide path going right to the same place they are. So That's what Jesus is saying. False prophets who teach another gospel, they look like sheep. They are ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. So they're deceptive, right? We know that this is the, the way the enemy works. In Pergamum and Thyatira, two churches, we commented, uh, who were commended for faith, love, sh- service, patient endurance, holding fast in the name of Christ and not denying the faith, had allowed false prophets in. And it was greatly damaging the church, so much so that Jesus had to step in. And the, the statement he makes about the people that are associated with Jezebel is not a good one. I will throw her on a sickbed, and everybody who participates with her will share in her sickness, and I'll kill her children. Wow. Wow. It would seem that churches that were so commended would have, by those commendable virtues, been quick to identify anything that was contrary to pure doctrine. It would seem like it, right? However, Jesus states that something very interesting. He says that these false prophets come to the church in sheep's clothing. In other words, they appear to be righteous, and their words may even be Scripture. How many of you have heard recently people in the media trying to quote Scripture, trying to tell the church how they need to be loving? right? But you know what's funny is is that I actually hear that from within the church too. I actually hear people within the church saying that very thing. Two people that I just mentioned were once upon a time spot on, and here they are denying the faith. Why? Because they've listened to what's been going on out there. They've listened to people that say, hey, we have to be more tolerant. Hey, we have to be more loving. Hey, we have to be more accepting. Hey, we need to broaden this road. Hey, isn't God love? We can't, we can't be exclusionary. It's raci- racist. You can't do any of that kind of stuff. And we buy into that. But Jesus is saying, beware of these guys. Beware of them. We shouldn't be surprised by this because 2 Corinthians 11 tells us, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan himself uh, disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And this is what we're talking about. You'll know them by their fruit, their deeds. Jude one four tells us that certain people will creep in unnoticed, who long ago were de- designated for this con- for, the- for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and de- deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew twenty four twenty four, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the very elect. And we see we're 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 witnessing it all of this should not catch us unaware because the antichrist has a false prophet and have you ever read the description of the false prophet in the book of revelation what is it what is it said what's 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 it described as a lamb with goat's horns a lambs with horns. It looks like Christ. So it's going to sound a lot like Christ. So instead of taking our lead from 20-year-old worship leaders, we need to ground ourselves in the Word of God and know what it is that we're confronted by. So we'll get to that in just a second. First, they look like Christ and appear like the Lamb. However, they have a mark or a notable characteristic that distinguishes them as false. The point of Revelation is to demonstrate that the, that one of the primary tactics of, of the Antichrist system is to attack the church with its own testimony. Has God really said? And so many people I'm hearing nowadays go, uh, yeah, hasn't he? Yes, God is love, but God is justice too, and you can't have God's ju- love without His justice. They are two sides of the same coin, right? So Jesus here tells us how to discern them, and I've got just a few more minutes, and I'm on. I'm doing good. I tried to really condense it <laughs> because I usually get really off into little tangents i may hear in a second but not to let you down i am now bunny trail all right tale of two kingdoms i've, I've entitled the, the message today thistles and grapes thistles and grapes This is the focus of our study, the focus of our purpose in studying the book of Matthew. The words of Jesus here clearly mark the divide between the kingdom as per, as per our focus. Jesus simply asks, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And in this singular statement, Jesus clearly demarks that which separates his kingdom from the kingdom of, be- of the beast. And do you know why? Can grapes come from thorns? Can figs come from thistles? What is that speaking of? Go back to Genesis. Genesis 3:17 Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth for you. Can what is under the curse bear fruit of the kingdom? Can a thistle bear a fig? No. It bears what is, by definition, its own seed. In Israel, the weird thing is, is that they, Israel is known as the land of thistles. Do you know that? They have a thistle that grows rampantly in Israel that grows as tall as a guy sitting on a horse. They have so many different kinds of thistles out there it's insane. And do you think anybody has to nurture their growth? Do you think anybody's out there? I'm the thistle farmer. I' plant some thistles over here. got to prune the thistle. Let me ask you a question. Do you have to do anything to get dandelions in your yard? Not a thing. But do you have to work to get the, pro, the produce of the vine? It's right. Wide is the path. Wide are the thistles. Wide is the way of the curse. Easy is the road. I don't have to do anything. It just grows. And so many of us and so many people think that that's the way Christianity is going to be, but he says the opposite. What does he say? Narrow is the road. And few find it. Why do few find it? Because it's hard. It's difficult. And it takes everything. The way to life is through the cross, through death, right? So that's what we know. See, I've already did all that. However, the point here is that the thorns and thistles are biblical, Uh, they're a byproduct of the fall. So Jesus is asking a rhetorical question Can things that have to do with the kingdom grow? from that which is part of the curse? The answer is no. This is how you know and how you can tell. So what does he say, though? He says, do, oh, by the way, we got a leak. By the way, did you, uh, Jesus was crowned with the curse thorns. Isn't that kind of interesting? So we got a leak going on over here. But now he says something that's interesting. And so what he's doing is he's juxtaposing two things, thorns and thistles, figs and grapes. What are figs and grapes? These are the fruit of the kingdom. And each one bears a very significant, uh, has a significant meaning with regards to the kingdom. Think about it for a second. The Old Testament grapes and figs are mentioned together a lot especially in regards to the new creation or, the, or of the promised land. They have then an eschatological significance, grapes. Grapes, uh, vines are commonly used as a metaphor for children of God, peoples of, or the people of God. They are blessed and they grow and progress just as vines climb in the vineyard. In the Old Testament, grapes symbolized God's relationship with his people. Grapes are also common metaphor for something blessed and good. It, can, it symbolizes prosperity, especially the prosperity of the new creation. Consider the gigantic cluster of grapes brought back by the Canaanite spies. It was massive. You know what else they brought back? Figs, fruit of the new kingdom. But how did they? How do you have to get the fruit of the new kingdom? They didn't stand on the borders and yell at people, get out, it's our land. You had to fight for it, right? So what they were saying is, look, here's the deposit. Ooh, doesn't that sound familiar? We each have a, what, deposit of the new creation by the Holy Spirit within us? Here's the deposit. There's the land. Now you have to go fight. Another very interesting thing, what are grapes? one of the significant things we do every Sunday, what are grapes? The wine. And what does that signify? The blood of Christ? Jesus Melchizedek, uh, in Genesis, Melchizedek brought out bread and wine to Abraham after what? Not before, but after what? Anybody know? the defeat of the five kings. So it, he had to wage a war. And then Melchizedek brought wine and bread out to him. Also, in keeping with this, there is an associated lesson to be learned concerning the grapes brought back from, by the spies. They had to, Here's a deposit. You have to go fight for it. But Jesus also, the fruit of the vine, which we get and we'd take every, every Sunday morning, cost him his life. So the road is hard. The grapes are not just something that grow randomly. They're cultivated. They're striven for. They work at them. They are a deposit of the new kingdom, a new creation. That's why they don't grow on thistles, because they are Opposed to each other. What's a fig? In Deuteronomy, the Promised Land is described as a land of wheat, of barley, of vines and fig trees, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat without scarcity, will lack nothing. The fig tree is also a symbol—a uh, symbol of uh, Israel itself. It often symbolizes the health of the nation, both spiritually and physically. In Hosea nine, it says, "This like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel." Like the first fruit on the fig tree, in its first season I saw your fathers. But they came to baal and consecrated themselves to the things of shame and became detestable like the things that they loved. First Kings 4, 25. And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree. So figs and vines. Together, fruit of the kingdom. This is why, if, in case you ever wondered, this is why when Jesus cursed the fig tree. You ever wondered about that? Why did he curse the fig tree? Because it's a symbol of the health of Israel. And Jesus was making a statement against, against the, 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 the uh, temple. You become idolatrous. I come to find fruit on you and I find Nothing. Cursed be this, and it will never grow again. It was a testimony against the, Is, the nation of Israel. You've become barren. You've become a detestable thing. So that's why the idea of cursing the fig tree was so significant. Jesus was making a definitive statement. I am the greater temple. And he speaks to the, and, and, and it withers. All right, each kingdom will by default then produce that which is in keeping with its nature. The kingdom of this world will produce diseased fruit from the thorns and thistles of the curse. It doesn't have to try. There is no effort necessary. The curse produces that which is of the curse and simply cannot bear fruit of the new new creation. Grapes and and figs are not found on thistles and thorns. The new creation also has its fruit, fruit associated with health, blessing, and prosperity. However, although this fruit also grows naturally, and we are afforded a taste of it in the here and now, the consummation of it will only be realized when God makes all things new. Consider, we partake of the fruit of the grape when we observe communion, as I've said. We do so, however, in hope, and because Jesus has gone before us as the first fruit of many brothers. In keeping with this, the spies brought back what well, I've said that before, the goodness of the eschaton. They brought back something, a promise, a promissory note. This is yours. Look at this. It took two of them to carry a single cluster back on a pole. Phenomenal. And this is where we are. We find ourselves today as the church We look forward to the fullness of the fruit of the blessing of the new creation. Jesus rightly says that the way is hard and the gate is narrow that leads to life because it leads through death. Yet while we do, the world is offering us an immediate counterfeit, something that is from afar, looks good now, but in the end leads to destruction. For wide is the gate and easy the way that leads to destruction. A lot, Just as a side note, a lot of the thistles in Israel bud these little things that look just like grapes. And there's another thistle that that the fruit of it looks just like a fig. And you can, from a distance, it looks great. But when you get up and inspect it closely, that's when you see this is a counterfeit. To the one who conquers, this is important. This is, we're in this for the long haul. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the one who conquers, he will not be hurt by the second death. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him the white stone with a new name written on it, stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. To the one who conquers and who keeps my words and works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. As He will rule them with a rod of iron. To the one who conquers, He will be clothed in white garments, and his name will never be blotted out of the book of life. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out again. And to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne forever. It's to the one who conquers. The road is narrow, and it's hard. The reward is off the charts. Scripture says we can't even conceive what that's going to be like. It can't even enter our mind. And we have to be careful of those that are setting up construction crews on the narrow pathway. who are doing the road widening thing. Because the fruit of the kingdom cannot grow on that which is of the curse. They don't play well together. They don't like each other. So stay on the narrow road. It's a hard road. But the rewards, as I just read, are pretty significant. Amen? That's all I got. So I'll pray, and then we'll, uh, I'll let Matthew end. Father, we are grateful that you've called each one of us by name. And yes, though the road is hard, we know that you have walked it before us, and you have deposited in each one of us that which gives us the perseverance in the Holy Spirit. Father, help us to keep our mind and our focus on you, on the straight and narrow, on the gate that's hard to get through. Don't let us be deceived in these last days. Help us to know. Those that look like sheep but are really wolves. We love you this morning. We pray that you would add your spirit to the teaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen.